You're listening to the Sphere Now ESG podcast on Spark, Sphere's safety, sustainability, and productivity thought leadership website. Sphere is the leading provider of ESG performance and risk management software, data, and consulting services. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphere Now ESG podcast, a program focused on safety, sustainability, and productivity issues. I'm James Durrani, Spark's Editor-in-Chief. Today, we are joined by James Pearson, a Senior Product Manager in Sphere's Article Compliance Division, and that's a mouthful. We'll be discussing ESG, the circular economy, and opportunities missed. It's always nice having a fellow James on the show, James, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, cool. Let's get into this. I'm interested in learning on how you connect the dots between the circular economy and how it goes hand in hand with ESG. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, I mean, the circular economy and ESG, both very large concepts, of course. So I can give you a like a summary of circular economy and then we can dig down deeper into it as, as needed, I guess. The circular economy, uh, best way of describing it really is is probably to start thinking about the, the opposite system, which is our current linear materials economy. Like when you're thinking about current system terms, there's a couple of terms that you might think of and listeners might actually be aware of them. So take, make, waste is one term that's often used to describe it. An alternate is take, make, use waste. And then you've got things like cradle to grave as well. And it's basically an indication of the product life cycle within that materials economy, our current materials economy. But the, the key point on uh, is that we've got this waste phase, okay? And that essentially results in the products that we use, that we buy and that we use being disposed of in, a, let's say, a less than desirable manner, of course. And that's because fundamentally disposal ends up you know, harming humans and the environment as well. So we see that a lot with things like plastic waste and things like that, but we also see that with electronics and batteries and things like that, right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you know, in, in its strictest, its strictest sense, transitioning to a circular economy would <laughs> would would uh, keep the material value in use for all materials. But, you know, we kind of have to be practical. We have to start somewhere. And so the circular economy initiatives that exist today i'm thinking you know particularly of the circular economy action plan as it's termed and this is something that's come out of the european commission but they have a focus on electronics batteries and increase aside there's increasingly electronic vehicles because you know of course you're like under the hood of a an ev is just a massive lithium-ion battery basically um, sure. and then you've got yeah you've got the packaging plastics that you mentioned a subset of that and where there's a real focal point at the moment is like single-use plastics and microplastics and things like that but the, the the focus on those products or those product areas is twofold or there's the reasons are twofold like those product types they present a very high environmental impact when they're disposed of improperly but second they also have what we would call like a high potential for circularity so because of those two key things, it makes them like a very good practical starting point for circular economy initiatives. When we're talking circular economy and you say like end of life of products and things like that, does recycling factor into that too? Or are we just talking about disposal? 
circular economy can be used interchangeably with recycling. I mean, it shouldn't be because recycling is part of a circular economy and it's a key aspect, right? It's, it's sort of a foundational aspect of a circular economy. But there are what we might say other modes of circularity. So you have things, concepts like reuse and repair, of course, but then other sort of business models like sharing and uh, renting or I suppose in North America, you'd say like leasing business models, and they lend themselves to circular economy principles. So yeah, circular economy is not just recycling, although recycling is like a fundamental part of it. I see. And so when we're talking about ESG in this regard, are we looking at the E environmental or is social or governance part of it as well? ESG, environmental social governance, is of course like a really broad topic. You know, I suppose it can be quite overwhelming for companies to look at ESG as a whole thing, particularly for product manufacturers, right, who are actually like coming up with ESG metrics for disclosure. You know, ideally they want to be looking at activities where they can get the most beneficial improvements. And that might mean trying to identify activities which lead to improvements and you know effective mitigations across more than just let's say the environmental track or the governance track so yeah circular economy i would say has for product manufacturers looking to improve activities which advance a circular economy has benefits across both environment and governance perhaps uh, social as well but uh, that might be a stretch you mentioned the word disclosures there, and when you're talking about disclosures, uh, are you referring to regulatory disclosures, or are you talking about science-based targets, or both? I suppose really we're talking about any sort of metric which a company has identified that it's going to make public, so that it's going to disclose as part of its ESG reporting programs. I mean, essentially fundamental uh, level, ESG reports are allowing investors to make informed decision about the companies which they invest in. The things that companies want to identify for disclosure, they often look to sort of ESG frameworks to help identify what sort of metrics they should be concentrating on. I mean, if we're looking at circular economy, we're mostly focusing on product manufacturers. And so when when a product manufacturer is trying to identify metrics for disclosure, what they really want to do is look to their core business activities and the areas where they can have the most improvement, where they can drive for the most improvement. And so what they would do in that instance is look across a product life cycle, take a product life cycle approach. So going back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is this idea of take, make, waste, you know, you've got resource extraction, sort of manufacture phase, a use phase and a disposal phase. If product manufacturers can, can can kind of drive improvements and mitigation measures across each of those product lifecycle phases, then that makes them very sort of ripe and ideal for disclosure in, an, in the sense of ESG. As a company, I asked this question to a number of my guests, but you you have the concept of it's the right thing to do for the world. But what is the business case for focusing on ESG and disclosures? And I know one term that you wanted to talk about was extended producer responsibility, which is related to end of life recycling. Can you kind of explain the process of why companies should take this so seriously, it just in terms of their business models? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you bring up uh, this idea of extended produce responsibility, which is essentially like uh, an end of life recycling responsibility that's placed on on manufacturers. So, you know, one of the reasons they might want to look at that is because it is a compliance topic. This idea, I mean, it's quite, it's a bit convoluted. Maybe I'll just do a bit of a pricey on extended produce responsibility. So oh, please um, do. extended produce responsibility essentially makes product manufacturers responsible for the collection of, and recycling of their products. Here's, a, here's like a, a key aside or similar products. And that means their competitors' products in some instances when those products reach their end of life. So if we just track the words on it for a second, it, it, it extends the responsibility of this idea of a producer, but you can think of the producer as the product manufacturer, you, you know, and it extends that responsibility beyond the point where they actually have possession of the products that they sell. So, you know, the pro products are out of their hands, but they're still responsible for the end of life recycling of those products. Let's talk a little bit about compliance and what is necessary in terms of circular economy and what areas do you think are ripe for companies to go beyond compliance? So we've just done a, a little intro onto this idea of extended produce responsibility, which can be thought of as end of life recycling. And that really is what you might call the sort of the teeth, if you like, or the, the main policy instrument of the circular economy. So it's a sort of foundational aspect and one of the reasons for that is manufacturers are not really incentivized by market forces to engage in the recycling of their products or their competitors' products once they're outside of their possession. In, in other areas, you know, like, a, let's say, sort of efficiency savings, sort of manufacturing efficiencies, for example, manufacturers might actually be able to make cost savings by driving efficiencies in the manufacturing process. So there could be a good business reason for doing so that would align with their sustainability goals. For end-of-life recycling, where the costs can, you know, they can they can be substantial, there's not really a market force for that which would drive it, hence why it, it's such an important compliance topic. And actually, it's a very challenging compliance topic for manufacturers. If you can imagine a multinational selling products in countries all around the world, they have to comply with these these recycling laws in each country or, you know, indeed state now in North America or on a provincial level in Canada. Um, and they have to comply yeah, with all of those laws independently. And there's different requirements uh, for recycling in each in each country or state. So it's it's quite an esoteric concept. People generally don't know that much about it, but it is widespread in the EU, increasingly in North America and other parts of the world as well. But just to sort of make it a bit more tangible for people. I mean, most sure. people will be listening to this on like a smartphone or a tablet or a computer, personal computer. The manufacturer of that item will have had to register with a kind of recycling scheme and pay for the recycling of that product when they sold it in the country. I mean, that's certainly the case in Europe. It's increasingly the case in North America. But I think that a lot of people don't know that that is necessarily the case. That's, of course, if the if the manufacturer is doing what they should be doing, uh, just caveat to that. I was just thinking about kind of the evolution of manufacturing and you think of 
like the times like in the 1950s when I'm in the States, you're in the UK, but it, it wasn't as common for products to go overseas back then. But nowadays you have this global marketplace where you can order things on your phone and send it wherever you want. But there are so, it's such a complicated process. And when you talk about like product stewardship, I think of the reach regulations in Europe and how complicated those are. But I'm assuming it's very similar when you're talking about circular economy and end-of-life recycling. Yeah, it certainly is. If you imagine a product manufacturer who's got a headquarters in the US but is manufacturing products in uh, another part of the world and they have like complex uh, supply chains and then they're, they're shipping products into literally hundreds of uh, of con- different countries they have to manage the they have to put in recycling arrangements in each of those countries which are based on the local legislation and the local recycling infrastructure that are available in each of those countries so quite quickly it's an unfortunate fact for some product manufacturers that don't know this when they when they start expanding their business activities into let's say across the whole of Europe all of a sudden they've got maybe 90 responsibilities and have to have to set up 90 arrangements for recycling and uh, uh, collection and recycling of their products. So yeah, it's quite a big challenge and it's certainly getting bigger as time goes on as well. I was going to say 89 different, but okay, we'll go with 90. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, do you think companies are doing a better job focusing on the circular economy with their products that they sell? Yes and no to that, I suppose. I mean, on, on the one hand, manufacturers are doing more, they're doing more each year to, you know, to mitigate their, their impact on the environment. And if we're using last year's sort of total commitments as a baseline, and like I'm just thinking about EPR now, but if we use that as an example, there's more arrangements being put in place for recycling in, in more countries around the world. I mean, on the other hand, unfortunately, there is more and more to do. Uh, Like the amount of recycling laws around the world is increasing in size, in scope, in complexity. And that's just me thinking about EPR. If we start to zoom out a bit and think about the circular economy as a whole and the kind of what the circular economy tends to achieve, then I think a polite and fair way of describing it would be that we're just over the start line and that we're in this kind of nascent phase of transitioning from a linear materials economy to a circular economy. So I think there's there's plenty more that can be done, yeah. So how can businesses take the lead on the circular economy and, dun, 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 where are the missed opportunities? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think this comes back to having a zoomed out more holistic approach and that's where the ESG framing comes in because you know we've we've talked about compliance in 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 terms of EPR at the same time as EPR being a compliance topic and by EPR again I mean end of life recycling of products at the same time as it being a, a kind of compliance and market access topic for recycling it is also you know, the bedrock, the foundation, if you like, of a manufacturer's commitment to advancing a circular economy. So, you know, this comes back to the idea that it's both environmental and it's both and it's governance as well. And at the moment, I suppose, you know, when you're saying missed opportunities, I'm thinking of 
the product manufacturers websites that I've seen where they've got really a really good commitment to ESG uh, disclosures, to driving improvements, efficiencies in manufacturing and in other areas as well. At the same time, they've got their EPR compliance publicized, but on a separate part of their website. And they've not necessarily made the connection. They've not necessarily joined the dots together. And I think that that's a real missed opportunity because when we're able to step back and then see the wood from the trees, as it were, at that point, you can actually start to have a much more efficient focus on your efforts as a company to actually get a better return on investment. You can essentially get two for the price of one in a way. And I think that's really the opportunity for companies at the moment to to sort of drive more effective change and maximize their their ESG performance with a more a more holistic, you know, more well, well thought out fashion. So in terms of your tree metaphor, it's really time to branch out. Yes, exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. So is there anything else you'd like to add here today that I haven't covered? Not specifically, I don't think. I would just say, yeah, we've given a good uh, kind of high level overview of some of the, the topics in circular economy, end of life recycling, how that relates and and hopefully put it into a bit of a an ESG framing. I think we've got some more information coming out and this, we'll certainly be doing some webinars next year if anyone would like to dive deeper into those. Other than that, just to say thanks for having me on the podcast, James. Pleasure to speak to you. Well, it was uh, great chatting with you, too, and uh, I hope you'll be back next year after maybe one of those webinars and we can uh, can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, it'd be good to catch up in 2022. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Sphere Now ESG podcast on Spark. We hope you enjoyed the show. Want more safety, sustainability, and productivity-related blogs and podcasts? Subscribe to Spark today. Visit sphere.com backslash spark and let's spark a conversation.